Father, we are grateful that we have the health that you have sustained our lives, that you've provided and put the breath in our lungs to be able to not just come and worship you together, but to be able to stand up, to be able to live. Father, these are all graces that we are not guaranteed. Father, we know that life, you are both the giver and the sustainer. And Father, that just as Job ascribes that we praise God both in his goodness and in the times of sorrow. But Father, you are good in the midst of all things. And so, Father, as the giver of all good things, as the sustainer of life, we recognize that so often we don't give you the thanks that you deserve. Father, we don't recognize that tomorrow is not guaranteed, and so we should thank you for it each and every day. Father, if anything, this season of this pandemic, it should remind us that we should not, just as James says, make plans uh, to do this or that, but we should say, as the Lord wills. Father, that you're sovereign over all things, that our plans are just that. They're never permanent. And they should always be in pencil. Father, we do rejoice that we are able to gather together as those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. We've been justified by faith. And we come together to sing songs of worship to ascribe to you the praise that you're due. God, to hear your word read, the word that was given and preserved, inspired human authors by the Holy Spirit. Father, not only do we hear it read, we hear it sung. We hear it preached. This word that is the power of God unto salvation. This word that promises to never return void. Father, this is what we do. And Father, more importantly, this is what Your Word does. This is what Your Spirit does through the working of Your Word. It may not do it quickly, but it will do it. And Father, cause us to continue to be faithful, to preach faithfully Your Word as just that, Your Word. Unable to err. That it is perfect. That it is God-breathed. Father, that we would receive this as such. And Father, as we come into this time, we think of Fisherville Baptist Church and their pastor, Brian Payne. Father, we pray for their church, for their congregation, and for other churches in the state, not just Fisherville and ours, but all that are seeking to be wise and to use discernment as to applying Scripture to things that are coming from our governor. Father, we, pay, we pray for Pastor Brian that You would sustain him, that You would give him strength. Father, that You would be with his family. Father, that You would keep them from any kind of murmurings or accusations. Father, that You would allow their church to be unified, to be together for the Gospel. And that they would honor 
and receive him as the one who has been God ordained to care for the souls of his flock. So, Father, I pray that you would cause him to do that and his flock to receive it as a gift. Father, be with his church members, those who might uh, have lost recently their jobs due to different mandates. Father, we pray for them and for those around our city who are uh, in state who are trying to figure out what to do next. Father, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and the means to be able to provide and to meet needs when we can. And Father, not only do we pray for Fisherville, but we also think of churches around the world. Churches like ours that are able to meet together harmoniously, freely, without infringement. But Father, we know that that's not always the case. Father, we know that at any time, all across the world, there are churches, brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, who are being persecuted, being pre- prevented from meeting in person. And if they do meet in person, they're being hauled away to prison. Father, we pray for their perseverance. Father, we pray that you would give them strength. Father, that you would give them a witness that is able to winsomely proclaim the gospel in the midst of opposition. For your gospel and your word is not bound. Father, raise us up to have this same willingness, this same desire that we would so be captivated by what Christ has done for us that we would not use our freedom to be lazy, but we would use our freedom with a gospel perspective to take the gospel during this time and season while it is still here. Father, help us. Give us opportunities this week to be able to share about what Jesus Christ has done by forgiving sin. Not just by word, but by deed. That His death on the cross nailed the debt of sin that we owe he paid it in full. And Father, that's what we'll see this morning and every Sunday and every day that your faithfulness to forgive sinful, fallen human beings. Father, help us receive this in grace. Father, use your word mightily. Father, if there are anything that I would say that would not be in accordance to your word, I pray that it would be forgotten. Father, work through your word. Work through your preacher. Father, we ask that your spirit would be moving in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd be lying if I said during my study for this week that I knew exactly where we were. (laughs) That I knew exactly where we'd been. That I was just ready to pick up again and just get going. I had to kind of keep going back and being like, okay, where, where, where were we? And maybe you find yourself there too. We're, we were blessed to be able to hear uh, a message from Mark, from uh, our brother Casey, and then we were able to hear a message uh, from Joshua.
from Derek. And what a blessing it is to be able to hear uh, faithful preaching uh, from behind this pulpit from, from many, many men. Uh, it's a blessing to me, and I pray that it's been a blessing to you all as well. But we find ourselves in our study in Zechariah in chapter 13, which, for some of you, if you know the makeup of Zechariah, that means that we have one more chapter left after today. And though there are, haven't been any verbal amens, I can see it on everybody's faces. I'm like, oh, Advent, yes. That How Long, O oh Lord song has really come back and been like, yeah, how long, O oh Lord? We're in Zechariah chapter 13, and I'm excited to be able to preach on this fountain that will be opened up and what it will do, that it will both purify a place and a people. That this fountain will purify a place and a people, and I'm switching that around, so let me make it accurate as it flows from the text. This fountain will purify a people, and it will purify a place. And then if you get too far in our chapter and you're like, what on earth is this fountain? Well, aren't you glad that Zechariah chapter 13 verse 7 and beyond begins to unpack what or rather who this fountain is. So if you would, stand with me in the honor of reading God's word. We're in Zechariah chapter 13. I'll be reading verses 1 through 9. Zechariah chapter 13 verses 1 through 9. On that day there shall be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. And on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land so that they shall be remembered no more. And also I will remove from the land the prophets and the spirit of uncleanness. And if anyone again prophesies, his father and his mother who bore him will say to him, you shall not live for you speak lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and his mother who bore him shall pierce him through when he prophesies. On that day, every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies. He will not put on a hairy cloak in order to deceive, but he will say, I am no prophet. I am a worker of the soil, for a man sold me in my youth. And if one asks him, what are these wounds on your back? He will say, the wounds I received in the house of my friends. Verse 7, awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is my God. May the Lord receive honor by the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now as we talk about this fountain and its ability to purify and to cleanse from sin, I thought a very apt illustration because I do have a two-year-old at home that she'd make a great illustration and she's young enough that I don't need to ask for permission. One of the things about having a two-year-old, for those of you who have had one, uh, they're learning thousands of words at a time. And then they start to repeat some of those 
word. So yes, that means I've got to be careful with some of those words that I say. Uh, but it also means that she begins to say things that she has no idea what they mean. But there are some words that she has just with laser focus honed in on. This is exactly what this means. She knows when she is dirty. I don't mean diaper dirty. I just mean dirty. She is a tomboy. I've brought her up here sometimes this week, and she's run out back and just comes back in. She's muddied and just gross, and it's awesome. It's great. But she doesn't realize that she's dirty then because that's just on her pants or on her shirt or on her jacket. We could be eating spaghetti at the dinner table, and she could have spaghetti between both ears, down her body, and all over her hands, and even on her legs. But you know what she says? She says, I'm dirty. I'm dirty. She doesn't care that she's got it all over her face. She doesn't care that she's got it all over her hands or on her legs or anywhere. She only cares that she has it on her hands. That if we washed her hands, she would be like, all right, I'm good. Off to play. And I think sometimes we can, we can do that too. We can, we can be so uh, focused on one sin, right? We can look at our own lives and there's a long list probably. We can get so focused on one. Man, I'm just really bitter. Or I'm struggling with anger. Well, all the while, there's so many other things that you kind of just sweep under the rug of, well, that's, that's just a spaghetti on my leg. It's not that big of a deal, but my hands are dirty. Likewise, the people of God often in our history don't realize the depth of our dirtiness. Now, let me get real particular because we're not just talking about dirtiness of a meal. We're not just talking about dirtiness of spaghetti sauce on our hands. By the way, thank you all for that. We're talking about sinfulness. There's not just an external of it's on our hands, but it's an internal of it's even to the depths of our heart. Our thoughts, the way that we think about others, the way that we think about money. Jeremiah says that money is the root of all evil. That the tongue, as Paul says in Ephesians and James, it will light a forest on fire. It's not just our hands. We don't just come to God as sinners saying we need purified hands. We need to be purified in the whole. So when Peter goes to Jesus and Jesus cleans the feet of the disciples, showing humility, not showing purification, showing his humility and his servant-minded care for them, Peter says, no, 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 no. Jesus tells him why he's doing it. He's like, okay, get, get all of me. That we might, like Peter, see our sin and the gravity of, that it's not just our hands that need to, need to be cleansed. That it's our very selves. That we need to be renewed from the inside. And no shower can do it, though all of the soap manufacturers may think and make you think otherwise. We need a different kind of purification. And this fountain is it. 
Now again, this is not just a fountain that you go to at the mall and you throw your quarters to. This fountain, spoiler alert, is Jesus. This fountain is Jesus. And that that on that day that has marked this section, 17 instances on that day is used from chapters 12 through 14. This on that day was the day that Christ was crucified. That on that day, the fountain was in fact opened up. That the purification of sins now happens through the perfect blood of Christ. So first we see that this fountain will purify a people. Now remember, immediate context before this, chapter 12, we see that this shepherd will be pierced. Verses 10 through the end of chapter 12. And they begin to talk about the mourning that happens. Remember, this was a long time ago. This was about three weeks ago at this point. But the mourning that took place was like... The morning, verse 11, that happened at Hadad Ramon in the plain of Megiddo. You're like, what? That was when a previous king of Israel was pierced. And they begin to commemorate that day because he was a pure king. He wasn't like Ahab. No, he was one who walked with the Lord and he was pierced through. And it says in verse 12 that the land shall mourn each family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself. And again, all of these individual acts of mourning. That all happened because the spirit of grace, the Holy Spirit on that day fills those who need to be convicted of sin and they begin to repent. You know, like Catherine, who only wants her hands cleaned. She recognizes when her hands are dirty. We, too, don't recognize the depths and the gravity of our sin. So what Annie and I have to do <laughs> as parents, we say, but babe, you, you, you know, all right, hands are clean. I'm going to get no, 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 no. You literally have spaghetti all over, like. Let us clean you. She doesn't know that. And so in one sense, we play in a very small sense. The Holy Spirit of no, baby. <laughs> You're a mess. <laughs> and by God's grace, the Holy Spirit in our lives does that same thing too. That if it weren't for the spirit of grace in chapter 12, verse 10, for the people of God in this day, they might not never have mourned for the pierced one. So too with us. We might never mourn if it weren't for the Holy Spirit's work in our life. The Bible gives very clear parameters that we are far from God. That because of what Adam and Eve did in the garden, and because of our lineage with them, we are now disconnected from God. What was once pronounced good is now woefully bad. And it needs to be made right. And the only way that that happens is not by us being illumined to the fact that, oh man, I'm, I'm dirty. I'm sinful. 
No, we don't do that on our own, church. We do that by the Spirit. The Spirit letting us know as sinful, fallen human beings, buddy, you're sinful. But it doesn't just tell us you're so messed up, you're so jacked up, because if that's where it ended, we'd be in a lot of trouble. But it says in chapter 13, verse 1, on that day. On that day, there's going to be a way. You're not going to have to keep going back to the sink of sacrifices and tithes and rituals and dates. Over and over and over and over and over and over. And you think it's getting painful and over and over and over. There is no sink, there is no soap that can cleanse us from our true problem. But, church, there's a fountain filled with blood. It's been open for those who trust. Who'd have thought? Three weeks off, and I get emotional. Praise God that a fountain's been opened. We don't have to keep going back to the sacrifices. We don't have to, as we'll see here in a little bit, we don't have to turn back to idols. Nor do we have to continue to walk in our uncleanness. No, this fountain cleanses completely. From sin and uncleanness. Because of the one who has been pierced. Because of his perfect spotless account. We can receive forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness of sin. Completed. One of my favorite bands growing up was Audio Adrenaline. It's, they still kind of are. They're, they're just awesome. Uh, but they have a song from, from one of the Psalms. It says, the, the Lord casts our sin as far as the east is from the west and uh, as deep as the depths of the sea. And I can't remember it now because it's been a very long time. But it just gets at the gravity of If you've trusted in Christ, if you have recognized that no soap and no sink can cleanse you from this sin, that only the fountain of Jesus Christ and his perfect blood can do it, you don't have to keep going back. You don't have to keep going back. It is final and forever that your sin has been forgiven. Now, we're always going to continue to sin until we get this side of eternity, we're always going to sin. We're going to struggle with sin. We are going to sin. And we should continue to seek to put that away. Knowing that when we bring these sins to God, He cleanses us and purifies us, just as John writes, 
from all unrighteousness. He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It doesn't happen by idols. It doesn't happen by sinks. It doesn't happen by soap. It happens by the fountain. It happens by Jesus, by his work on the cross. You may be thinking, Sean, you're going to have to connect some dots of how this fountain is Jesus. As we get to these latter parts, especially verses 7 through 9, Jesus actually says, I'm this person. That the fulfillment of this verse, I am. Therefore, we should not feel in want. So first, this fountain purifies and cleanses a people. Secondly, it purifies and cleanses a place. If Zechariah could be summed up, and it's a weird, funky book, but if it could be summed up in one central theme, it's that the whole book is moving in the direction of a holy people worshiping a holy king in a holy city. Now, all throughout, we see these should be holy people not being holy. And all throughout, we're shown examples of other kings that weren't holy kings. And all throughout, we see this city not being so holy. So much so that they shove a woman in a basket and say, get out of here. But the whole point of Zechariah is pointing us to the fulfillment and the coming of Christ again, where he creates a new people in a new place, in a new creation, where we will be holy people worshiping our holy king in a holy city. And can, can I just say, that sounds awesome. Where my thoughts won't be corrupted by other things. That my emotions won't sway on my football team getting trounced last night. That I won't get upset because my little two-week-old son wakes up in the middle of the night. And he's probably like, what are you talking about? You don't know anything about that. But what a day where all of the thoughts that I have and all of the thoughts that you have are perfect. They're holy. And you may be thinking, well, yeah, I mean, if, if my thoughts are holy, well, I know the other people around me aren't thinking holy thoughts either. Yeah, you're right. But in this, they are. When a holy people are worshiping a holy king in a holy city, even the bells and the bowls and the horses' collars are inscribed holy. So you may think, not me. Oh, yeah. If the bells and the bowls and the pots and the pans are going to be holy, you best believe that if you trust in Christ, you will be made holy on that day. But not only does he make a holy place or a holy people, he makes a holy place. That also on that day, verse 2, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land so that they shall be remembered no more. For this post-exilic people, they probably could have named off, right? They just spent time in Babylon. They probably could have named off a good couple dozen of very legitimate idols carved out of wood, made out of stone, 
and for what purpose they served. It's a little more difficult for us in 2020 to be like, well, we don't really have, we don't really have any of that. Right? They've been disguised. We don't carve them out anymore. But almost as a fulfillment of Scripture, they actually begin to carve us. The idols that we place over us, we don't even know that they're idols until it hits us square in the face. The idol of lust. The idol of money. The idol of food. The idol of pride and recognition within our group of peers. The idol of receiving unchristlike love from our spouse. The idol of trying to be the savior for our spouse. We were talking in Sunday school about Los Angeles County and some of the stuff going on in California with some of their churches. And I found it interesting that at the same Sunday where churches were unable to meet in person, I watched the Los Angeles Rams game, a stone's throw from Los Angeles International Airport, and they had 15,000 people. That's not just not right. Brothers and sisters, that's idolatry. That if we desire... I love going to college football games as much as the next guy. Maybe even more than you, Dave. I, I'm just... I'm sad. We, I think we'd have a good run for our money. But if we desire those things, if we desire recognition, if we desire the affirmation of a spouse or a friend, if we desire money, if we desire sex and lu- uh, sexual lust and all of these things, we have dethroned God and placed this idol above Him. So they may be peskier idols. They may not come in the same shapes and forms, but I, they do have the same effect. To distract and to ultimately cause us, instead of imaging God, to image them. But here, the prophet Zechariah says that on that day, the idols will be cut off. Not only will they be cut off, they'll be cut off to such an extent that they won't even be remembered. But he continues, and also I will remove from the land the prophets and the spirit of uncleanness. Now we just saw in chapter 12 that the spirit of grace came over them to propel them into repentance and mourning over what had happened. Well, now as a negative example, the spirit of uncleanness sits and pervades over this place. But God, through the prophet Zacharias, is no more. I will remove this. And if anyone again prophesies, this is going to get a little intense, folks. If anyone prophesies, he will not put on a hairy cloak in order to deceive. But he will say, I am no prophet. I am a worker of the soil. Uh, I skipped some verses. I apologize. Verse 3. If anyone prophesies, his father and his mother who bore him will say to him, you shall not live. 
For you speak lies in the name of the Lord, and his father and his mother who bore him shall pierce him through when he prophesies. This is gruesome. This is extreme. Some might say this is over the top. But listen to what's happening. God is being blasphemed. There are prophets who are coming in and saying, this is what God says, when in fact he says the exact opposite. And God himself is saying it is better that he were to be run through by his own mother and father than to continue to prophesy in this way. This was a command in the law given by Moses in Deuteronomy. And while its application was never thoroughly seen, I think there's a connection that we can make. That the punishment for sin and blaspheming against God is to be pierced through. Okay? The punishment for blaspheming and speaking against God is to be pierced through. The false prophet gets what he deserves. As sinners, as Paul says, the wages of sin is death. Unlike in our passage here, we do not receive that punishment. That if we have trusted in Christ, our true prophet, Jesus Christ, has taken the penalty of us, the false prophets. We have blasphemed God. We have sinned against God. Our punishment is sure. But Jesus steps in. For he was pierced for our transgressions. And by his stripes, we are healed. But it says that on that day, in the purification of this place, that the prophets won't even want to prophesy anymore. They won't even want to wear the badge of, I'm a prophet. And it'd be kind of nice if some of the false prophets running around these parts started to do that. That they'll actually take off the cloak that was more... Normal for prophets. Remember, John the Baptist came and wore this this hairy animal skin and ate locusts and stuff. He was awesome. But this text is telling us that's not what they're going to do. The typical uh, attire of a prophet, they're going to put off because they don't want to be seen as a prophet. They don't want to receive this judgment. So if they're asked, are you a prophet? No, no, no. Mm. I, I'm a farmer. I worked the soil. I was sold as a youth. Not a prophet. Not a prophet. Don't want to be one of those. Verse 6, and if one asks, what are these wounds then on your back? You look like you kind of have some wounds like the false prophets in Second Kings 18 those who danced on Mount Carmel when Elijah came and told them you uh, prepare sacrifices for your God and I for mine and let's see who listens 
by lighting the fire of the sacrifice. For hours they go on and on and on and petitioning to their God. And Elijah says, is he asleep? Is he going to the bathroom? What's he doing, guys? So they begin to lament. They begin to cut themselves. They begin to afflict themselves. So these false prophets would have borne those same afflictions. So what are those? Uh, the wounds I received in the house of my friends. We were roughhousing and things kind of got out of hand and not a prophet. Not a prophet. You see this fountain through Christ's work on the cross. He's cleansing and purifying a people and a place. And here in verses 7 through 9, we'll see that Jesus steps into the scene more and more and more into the forefront. This poem, Awake, O Sword, Against My Shepherd, Against the Man Who Stands Next to Me. Now again, this is similar to other passages in Scripture that we see that this shepherd will be struck, that this shepherd stands next to God and that he receives his punishment not from others, but from the hand of God. That this shepherd stands next to God. Because this is God speaking. Who does that except for Jesus Himself? But the passage continues, Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. Mark chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus, upon his arrest, he's speaking to Peter and he's telling him he's going to betray him. But Jesus, before, begins to unfold that he will be struck. He, the good shepherd, will be struck. And when I am struck, the sheep will be scattered. Mark 14 verse 27 that you all will fall away Jesus says for it is written I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered Jesus identifies as the shepherd struck from Zechariah chapter 13 so this fountain that's opened up on that day is being opened up by the work of Christ and this fountain remained shut until his work was finished. There could have been no other way. There could have been no other way for the cleansing and the atonement and forgiveness of sin apart from the perfect work of the perfect Son of God, Jesus Christ. So Jesus says, I am this shepherd. When he is struck, the sheep will be scattered. And Zechariah continues in a perplexing conclusion to this chapter in verses 8 and 9. It says, In the whole land declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. Some commentators disagree on, is this an immediate context? 
Is this, are we talking about exile here? Or are we talking about on that day? On that day that the shepherd is struck. Others go even further to say it's actually the day later or the process later. This would be known as eschatology. End times. What is going to happen in the end times? Some point to that. So what we do know is that here's what it says. In the whole land declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. Let's do a little bit of math. Two-thirds fall away, and one-third remains. So you may be thinking, that kind of stinks for the two-thirds. But hey, I mean, at least it's pretty good for the one-third, because they're still alive, true, better for them than the others. But before we get to saying, wow, they've really got it made in the shade, Zechariah continues in verse 9. And I will put this third, the remaining third, into the fire. Wait, what? So let me just talk about something. There's this view right now that in the last 15 years really caught a lot of steam and some prominent pastors that hold to it that I just don't see it in Scripture. That before Jesus comes, he's going to bring his church and they're going to be raptured into glory. I want to be careful that I don't make it a mockery. I think they've done solid study and research, but I just don't think it's there. I think that time and time and time and time and time again, God uses his people, he uses testing of his people to purify them just as he's going to do here in Zechariah 13. That he will put this third into the fire and refine them. How good is that? That he will refine them. He won't burn them. Some fun stuff happening in the left uh, bleachers. He will refine them. He will not destroy them. Like the burning bush that it was on fire, yet it wasn't consumed. Like the Israelites in Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Though the furnace swarmed around them, they were protected. So too these who are put into the fire will be refined by God as one refines silver and will test them as gold is tested. Church, we have always as a church in its history done better under pressure. Don't believe me, the 15s and 1600s when people were being persecuted as the Reformation was really trying to take root there were those who were burned at the stake and the saying came out that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That the church grows on the sacrifices of those who faithfully proclaim the gospel. The church has always thrived under pressure. So I want to just give a... a I had so many calls on Thursday from other pastors just in my line of work that I do outside of the church. Got a couple calls from some church members that are warranted. Some folks are like, man, I, this is troublesome. And to be honest, what's happening in Lexington is, is troubling. And we need to be vigilant. And we need to be listening and watchful 
as to what our governor will continue to do and say as it pertains to the church. But, just as Casey preached just a few short weeks ago, on this rock, on the confession of Peter, I will build my church, and what? The gates of hell won't prevail against it. So we may see some refining. We may see some testing. We may be a little hot as the fire surrounds us. But all of that, if we persevere in faith, we will come out on the other side refined and tested. So how will we stand in the midst of that testing? Well, if we stand with Jesus, we'll stand secure. I don't know the other details, but I can tell you with 100% assurance, if we stand with Jesus, we will stand secure. Because here's how it continues. That after this testing, on the other side of this testing, here's what the Lord God says. They will call upon my name. How did Zacharias start? Return to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. We're seeing this come full circle. That they will call upon my name. And I will answer them. And they will say, the Lord is my God. Brothers and sisters, what a sweet, sweet song. Where the Lord can say of us, Paul, Becky, Jesse, they are my people. And we respond and say, and you are our God. Church, if this is where we are at, if this is where we are heading, we're in a good spot. Praise be to God for our struck shepherd who opened the fountain to cleanse and to purify us from sin. So if you are struggling with sin, know that if you call upon the name of Christ, he will forgive that sin. He is faithful and just. And if you wonder, am I trusting in Christ? You can always talk to me, talk to Derek, talk to one of us, and we can pray with you, and we can walk with you through those things. But man, what a Savior who has cleansed us and is cleansing us for that day where we will be a holy people, worshiping a holy king in a holy city. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word that has been given to us. Father, we ask that you would make us more and more and more and more like Jesus as we continue to read your word, to come and worship together. Father, we thank you. Father, we recognize that there are times where we sin and we don't ask for forgiveness. Whether it be because we're prideful whether we don't think it's that big of a deal Father help us to come to you to lay our sins our transgressions before you knowing that you will forgive completely 
And Father, for those things, just as the psalmist says, the things and the sins that are in our inward being that we don't even know about. Father, that you would cleanse us from those things too. Father, we're thankful that this fountain is effective. That the work of Christ is effective. We don't need any idols. We don't need any chance of specific words in specific ways. Father, it's Jesus and only Jesus. Thank you for that. It's in his name we pray. Amen.